television is where all the big risks are being taken, where the most exciting work is happening. And this is a festival that celebrates that. Finally, there's an independent avenue for people who want to just go into the TV business. It's just wonderful to have an outlet for all of the creativity that's happening in television and in new digital media right now. The fact that there's this, there's Series Fest, which allows you to put it in front of an audience and gives you a platform to put it out there. Like that's the most impactful thing as artists that we can ever hope for. Hi, I'm Randy Kleiner. And I'm Kaylee Smith Westbrook. As the co-founders of Series Fest, we welcome you to Breaking In, a Series Fest podcast. In 2015, Series Fest began its mission to champion and empower artists at the forefront of episodic storytelling by providing year-round opportunities for creators and industry experts to connect, collaborate, and share stories. We are thrilled to expand our mission with this podcast as we talk to working professionals in television and gain insight, advice, and hear their journey of breaking in. Today, I'm speaking with director, designer, and actor Rachel Myers. Rachel has been creating work in front of and behind the camera for over 20 years, collaborating on over 150 film, theater, and television productions. Her short film, Wendy Shabbat, premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2018 and went on to qualify for the 2019 Academy Awards and then was broadcast on PBS and streamed online on Topic. As a production designer, Rachel has worked on television series for Hulu, Facebook, YouTube Red, and MTV, as well as working on feature films such as Short Term 12, Lionsgate's Desperados, and Netflix's The Drowning, among others. In 2019, Rachel was the winner of Series Fest's first ever Women Directing Mentorship Program in partnership with Shondaland. Hi, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good. I was just thinking this morning about Series Fest season five when we met and we got to honor you when you won the first ever Women Directing Mentorship with Shondaland. Um, and I was just thinking how fun that was to to hand you the award and celebrate and uh, just all be there together. And I look forward to the days we can do that again. Yeah, it was a really incredible weekend. I, I feel so terrible for all the people who who get into festivals in this moment and can't go celebrate because I feel like being around other filmmakers and producers and creatives and the people who organize festivals is the meat of why you're there. And it's just like a celebration of filmmaking and the art of it. So hopefully yeah. soon we'll be in the same space. Yeah, I am really looking forward to all of us being back together, hopefully in 2022. And because you're right, it's um, really about creating relationships and community um, and celebrating together that that work. And, you know, we're trying the best we can to connect people virtually through the festival and our year-round programming now. But you're right. It's just that uh, missing connection of just being in a room with someone and and having interesting conversations and relationships kind of taking off, which for you at the festival, I, you know, I want to talk about you met some people and did a project right afterwards and uh, did some stuff during the pandemic. Yeah, no, it's been a really busy, fruitful year. I mean, I met, I met, I had a great time at the festival. I mean, I, I couldn't believe what an amazing job your team did in, in, and the turnout and like honoring Shondaland and the award that I received in front of that audience. I mean, getting to, to see my little video screened on a giant screen with a, a movie theater full of people was, was a little 
overwhelming and um mm. and i uh i'm super grateful for it and yeah so i met um i met some producers at the fe- film festival that i really gelled with that i have some other things now going on with outside of that and then i also met um a filmmaker and a producer and another producer and we all got together during the pandemic i i had this idea that it would be really fun to make something especially because you know, when you live by yourself and you're used to working in a creative field where you're collaborating and you're surrounded by a lot of people, I just wanted to have the interaction. And a lot of indie filmmakers have the experience of making things and you have to be the engine and the brain and all of the power for it. And I, I was just feeling a little bit tired from, from having to, to self-generate entirely. And so I reached out to, um, to somebody I met at the festival and it kind of took off from there. And we, we built out a show. We shot six episodes remotely. Um, it's called hot spot, hot spot, the series. And it just, we just, so we just dropped three episodes yesterday. So we have four episodes out. The first episode premiered at series fest and, and, uh, soon the other two will be out in the world. And it was just a really fun collaborative exercise in, in filmmaking. And also it was an amazing moment to make things because everybody was yearning for collaboration and all these actors being stuck at home. And so through my management company, I'd met some really amazing actors and I've been working in theater and film for so long um, that it was really uh, easy to pull together um, a great company of, of cast. And then all of a sudden we're, we're filming this remote series with a Tony award winning actor, Tom Hewitt. Um, uh, or Gemberling, who's from Broad City, you know, was in, was in our, uh, foursome episode. So it was, it's just like goes to show that you never know when you ask what people will come on board to do. And, yeah. and it was just really, really delightful. And, and it's fun to, to have a document and a testament of that moment in time where we all felt alone. I mean, I think we're at the point in the pandemic where nobody wants to look at screens anymore, mm-hmm. but it is what it is. And, and, but I'm glad, you know, 10 years from now, I'll be like, Oh, well that, that series that I directed um, and co-created was this moment in our lives. So I think that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, incredible that you went and did that. And I love that you recognized you were tired of self-generating because I think as um, creators, we always feel like we need to be making and making. And I love that you recognize that was like, I want help doing this and and actually reach out to other people. The more I've been talking to um, guests on the podcast, everyone goes back to relationships and um, building those and working with other people and having your collaborators. And I love a, that you found it at Series Fest because that's just really cool. But um, I love that, you know, you you really recognize that and said, I, um, I want to collaborate and do it. And then, of course, you were self-generating because you actually did it and you made episodes uh, during the pandemic. And I, I can't wait to see all of them. I, I clearly saw the first one last year and I'm excited to go watch all of them. Oh, yeah, thanks. No, I'm excited. There's, there's some like because we ran a virtual writer's room, we had a whole bunch of different voices of writers and, you know, par, um, Parak, who's my co-creator, uh, you know, our directive was to have a spectrum of the kind of conversations that people are having in their homes right now. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like we were pretty successful at that. And the spectrum of our writers also really covered a big cross section. I mean, Alberto Ferreras, who wrote, um, uh, 
one of our episodes, I met at a different film festival. I met him when I screened Wendy Shabbat at Sedona Film Festival. And so I reached out to him and, um, you know, Matthew Lee Erlbach, who wrote uh, the episode The Lifestyle with John Gemberling and, and John's wife, Andrea Rosen, and Rekha Sharma and Kevin Avery, who are the actors in it. Like, you know, Ali Hart, our producer, knew Kevin. And and it was it was just like all of those connections because I think it's that familial uh, relationship of, of film, of it really being like a relay and, mm. and, and a team sport. And, um, yeah, it was, it was fun. And it's really fun to now see them because it's, it took quite some time to, to get them out in the world. And right. As it always does. As it always does. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to go shoot this next week. And yeah. then I'm yeah. going to, you know, it's going to yeah. be out there in the fall. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I, but that's that thing about the unfunded projects is it's been, you know, in some ways, I think the pandemic has been a huge gift. At like the beginning of the pandemic, mm. I felt like I needed the relay of the team sport to get going because it was just, it was, you know, for a couple of months, we were having hotspot meetings every day and we were filming for a couple of weeks and it felt like something to be accountable to um, and like a job in this time of uncertainty. And then after that, the pandemic has been really fruitful for me for writing and working on developing decks for directorial projects that I have out in the world uh, and I think it sort of there was a learning curve to get there to feel that I was able to go off on my own uh, my own legs in this this world that we're living in. Yeah, I love that you also set up a somewhat of a writer's room and had other people take episodes because sometimes I think we get ideas and we're like, oh, I'm just going to write this whole thing. And yeah. there, there's not necessarily time to do that, especially I mean, even in the middle of a pandemic when you're stuck at home. And that's so great, especially I think with series, um, you know, having all those different voices really enrich you know, all the different characters live. So I think that was really yeah. smart. You no, guys did that. I think that. it was great. I mean, it was like the, Al the Al Alberto's episode in particular, you know, he was having an experience living in an apartment in New York city, which is the episode, which is two queer neighbors who don't know each other. And an older neighbor is frustrated that the younger neighbor is having all this sex during the pandemic and, and that it's a threat to his safety, like as an older, older gay man, like bringing oh, wow. COVID, COVID into the building. And so, right. and that, and that was something that Alberto was thinking about and like, a fear and it made yeah. sense and and it you know it made for a lot of tension and interesting drama in the episode and great performances so um you know i think i, I always think of that nora efron quote where she's like everything her parents would say everything is copy everything mm -hmm. is material basically and i always when i see people doing things in the world I, I always sort of try to file it away in my brain. And, and I'm like, where am I going to use that? Like I went hiking last week and there was this like well-dressed black man wearing amazing tennis shoes and he had plastic bags over his tennis shoes hiking because he didn't want to get his sneakers dirty. That's and, amazing. And it was, and we're on this trail on the side of a cliff. Was he not like thought, slipping? Like how is he not slipping with tennis shoes bags? were more important. And so I thought, well, this is definitely <laughs> going to go in a script. I don't know where, but, but that's I just like it. a, you know, it's a beautiful character detail about the weird things that people do yeah. because of what, what they care about. So, yeah. so I love, I love those gems. I sometimes feel guilty though. When like you steal things like that from life, I'm like, Ooh, is that person going to know? But I have to use that. No, no, because people do weird things like that all the time. It's I so mean, true. You know, how many times have you seen somebody drive off with a coffee on the roof of their car or the gas, <laughs> the gas pump in? I mean, that's why these things are so funny is because they're truthful. Totally. The best humor does come uh, out of truth. Plastic band, bag hiking, man. I, you know, at some point you're going to see yourself on yeah, screen. Yeah, we look forward to yeah. seeing that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious because you've had a very interesting career. I mean, I know you, 
you grew up doing theater, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're an actor, you're a production designer, you're a director, you also write. I mean, we hear a lot of people like, I'm a writer, director, actor, producer, maybe just because that's what I do. Um, But I feel like that's like the hyphenate. But the production design is so interesting to me. Um, and I recently watched, rewatched, uh, short term 12 oh. and it was so fun watching it, knowing that you had done the production design for that. Um, and it's such an important detail, of course, in, um, in filmmaking, um, and in storytelling. And I would just love to hear how you got into that and, um, and that side of you. Well, I, I've always loved telling stories and making things. And I think as a kid, it was that thing that many of us do where it's like backyard theater performances. And I, I, you know, my mom is an elementary school teacher and then, then she was an elementary school principal, but we did family theater. And so we went and did, you know, the first show we did was Annie and she played Miss Hannigan in this community theater production. And, and then I was like, Tessa. And then later there was another production of Annie and I, I, I had graduated to Annie and my sister got cast as Molly. And there was, there was greater Los Angeles children's theater. And there were hundreds of kids. I mean, it was like, it was like sea of, of orphans. basically. (laughs) Um, but it was an amazing training ground. I mean, the director who ran that, uh, company, he was a, he was a tough and a tyrant, but made great products. And it was, something super serious for me as a young person. And we, we performed at Magic Mountain and performed at like theaters around LA. And, you know, they had all these different offshoots for Orange County. And so there was a lot of um, weekends spent going to rehearsals and, and watching, you know, you would see like college and professional actors playing the adult roles. And it was really a great education. And then um, I didn't realize, I guess, that you could do that for a living, you know, mm. that on my own, I was like, directing the cousins and acting. And then we were also, I was also like costuming it and envisioning the world. And I've always as a, an artist been really tactile and visual. And, you know, I like to get my hands on things and, um, and it always, it always just seemed sort of combined, you know, art and visual Mm -hmm. art was something I always did. And then it connected to performing arts. And when I got to college, I double majored in studio art and theater. And I was, you know, my last role acting was Lady Macbeth in college theater um, as a senior, which was, was amazing. Cause they brought in a professional actor to play Macbeth. And, and, and then I had a thesis as like a senior art major and I wasn't sure what to do when I graduated. And that was the, a sort of unfortunate moment for women in representation in, in movies and TV, because I graduated from college in 2002 and I got to LA and I remember seeing these casting breakdowns and everything said something like hot, cute sorority girl in bikini mm-hmm. and, and, um, and the roles for women were not very interesting. And I, I had this very big audition with some fancy manager and I went in and poured my heart out on the floor doing these <laughs> like monologues and Shakespeare. And yeah. at the end of it, at the end of it, he was, he said, that's great. You are extremely talented. However, you either need to gain 25 pounds or lose 25 pounds. And And I, you know, I thought, well, Jesus, this is crazy. And I saw a lot of my female friends who were, who were my acting classmates, like suffer through that for years. Mm -hmm. And I, I was always interested in being behind the scenes and having more role in shaping it as a director and, and as a designer. And so I decided to pick that lane because 
it wasn't until I saw Orange is the New Black on television that I actually thought, oh, there's a show that I could have been cast in had I stayed in the world of acting. But for most women, there, there were not very many options for people who have different looks and builds and ethnicities. And right. um, I'm, glad, I'm glad that that has started to change dramatically now. Um, but I feel like I look at this whole period in television and it's just all the same. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad for it. I had a very, no, no, no. I had a very similar experience to you in that, um, I went to a very famous acting teacher, um, that everyone says you have to study with because that's how you book the roles. And I went in and I, I did the scene I had to do for her to audition to get into the classes. And she looked at me afterwards and she tilted her head and she went, huh, I wouldn't give you any notes. If you lost 15 pounds, you would start booking. And I was like, why would I take classes here? Why would I take classes here? Like, okay, but it's, you know, um, I totally hear you and feel wow. you because it's so hard. You know, we we train and I hope the actors coming out into the world now that are graduating from college do have a better um, and different experience than we did. It's, it's, I think it's still hard though. I think that me- when I look at television, there's still a specific body type um, that mm. is not required, but is, is the, the norm. And yeah. we all know, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to try to fit into something when that's not yeah. you. It's you just know? so patronizing the way that, that actors, actor, female actors are treated and, yeah. and have been treated in this industry. I mean, a friend of mine who stuck with it as an actor, I remember her, she told me a story about walking into an audition. Her, her, her agents called her and said, can you be the, there in two hours? They like your pictures. And she was on the other side of town in LA and they, it was for something in a bathing suit. And mm. she said, she said, can you be in a bathing suit in this audition in two hours? And so my friend went to a store, bought a bathing suit and shaved her legs in like a gas station <laughs> bathroom to go, oh to go. <laughs> walk into a room in high heels and a bikini in front of seven men. And I thought like, that is just the most disgusting thing I could think of. And after that, Margaret, Margaret is, is the friend. She said, I'm never going to do that again. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, but I really feel like that portrayal of what image women are supposed to be is what a lot of women have gotten stuck into. And now it's, there's more imagination about, about those depictions on entertainment, but they're certainly pretty codified. And I think about what, what Gina Davis, the Gina Davis Institute is trying to do and the celluloid study when I read scripts and I've gotten a few scripts recently. And I, you know, I always try to read them with the lens of like, what is the message that we're sending out to young people about the way that we, they interact with each other, a way that they're, they're portrayed on, on television, because you think about body dysmorphia and, and all of the things that young people face in, trying to navigate their own identity. And I really feel like the film industry and television needs to be very responsible about that messaging and conscious about it, because I think there's a lot of negligence still in, in falling back into old tropes and representation. And, uh, and it's not, it's not right because it, it creates problems for young people in terms of thinking that they're not worthy and, and eating disorders. And it's like, I think it's a, you know, I, I remember reading something when I traveled in India that there hadn't been an e- a history of eating disorders in India. And then it was there was a moment after American media and television started like uh, coming into India at a larger rate that this the, the numbers had gone up tremendously about eating wow. disorder, 
daughters with with Indian women. And I thought like that is insane. Yeah, it makes it makes sense, though, because that's what, you know, you're looking at all the time and uh, through stories, through commercials, through everything. And if that's what you're seeing and you're not seeing that reflected back into the mirror, it can be really challenging, really hard. And you feel you need to be something else. And that's really interesting about India. It makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sort of, I sort of strayed from your question a little bit, but, um, no, I know I'm sorry. Well, I interrupted cause I'm like, I totally feel you. And I get that. And I'm like sitting here going like, I should have just quit acting right then too. And, um, but no, so you had that moment and you realized you absolutely, you know, loved the directing and the other side of it. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I first, so my first directing was in college. I directed a Bertolt Brecht play and some other things and, um, and that was a great experience, but it was also super scary because again, the representation thing, there was like zero female directors that I had seen in the world. Um, the only female directors that I like latched onto at that age were Jane Champion and Julie Taymor and like the few that I had seen movies that I could sort of identify with, but the numbers, the disparity in the numbers was just so great that it didn't seem like anything that I could pursue. I also think there's that thing with women about being given permission to do things. Mm. And I did not feel like anybody walked me to the door of directing and said like, you are good at this. You have permission. You should do it. And so it basically took me 20 years from college to, you know, I mean, I guess maybe 15 years to start actually like going after it and, and giving myself permission and then having some success with, with my, um, my short films being really well received. Mm. Um, because I think, and I think it's, you know, I have to hand it to the, all the, the, the male directors that I've worked with over the years. I worked with a lot of first time male directors as a designer and watching the confidence and bravado and seeing them navigate through the process of, of owning the scale of production like as a backseat driver was a really safe place to be. And then now stepping into the role of directing more and more. And as my career grows as a director, I, uh, you know, I see, I see what they were doing and I, right. I, ha- I hand it to them for, for going after it. But I also think that um, there's the, this whole generation of young women who are now going to come in and it'll be great to see what happens with the stories that they tell. And also like, maybe they won't wait around so long waiting for permission because they see more role models because we know that when people open the door and you see people like you in positions that it leads to, to, to more parity in the workplace. And I'm really excited for that because I have to say, I was thinking about it in anticipation of our conversation and every almost across the board, the biggest career breaks that I have had have been from women and people of color. Wow. Uh, It's really powerful. um, yeah, in producing, in production design and directing, they have been the do- those door openers have like who stand out in particular. Effie Brown, who I'm working with now, and Zan Devine, um, who is the producer for my Disney movie, um, because it just I think there there's a there's a recognition and um, a desire to want to encourage young people and and to consider possibilities that are outside of the normal prescribed Hollywood spectrum about the way that things are done. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if in the case of Disney, I had been as a production designer, I had been in this moment where I had been interviewing for bigger movies, Mm -hmm. like 15 and $20 million movies. 
and there were like three movies I hadn't gotten and I busted, busted myself trying to, you know, prepare and put on a good show. And, and every time the note back to my agent was, she's great. She's just, we just want a little more experience, which I feel like experience is the quotes that they use for women a lot of the time hmm. when, when they, and then they bring in an older white man to do the right. job. And, and, and with this Disney movie, which was almost a $20 million movie and was direct, being directed by friends who I had worked with before, Adam Stein and Zach Lepofsky, who are super talented and creative guys. Um, the producer, Zan Devine, said she's awesome. And then Disney came back and said she needs more experience. And mm -hmm. I, wrote, I wrote a really kind of hot letter while I was in the third phase of being interviewed for this job. And I just said, you know, it, Rachel Morrison... Ryan Coogler opened the door for Rachel Morrison and Hannah Beachler on Black Panther. Like they were both women, respectively production designer and director of photography who hadn't done movies of that scale. And, and then Rachel Morrison is nominated for an Oscar like in the right. following year. And it, and it's because somebody opened the door. And so like, give me the opportunity, open the door. You know, I've done all of these projects that you can amount, amount, imagine what a $20 million movie would look like. And, Zan, who has been a great friend and mentor to me since we worked together, she was like, that that letter was what sealed the deal. She's like, we all wanted you, but the tenacity to, to send that. And my agent at the time um, at UTA, I said, is it okay to send this? And, and he was like, yeah, you know, it can't do any harm. Because right. I thought, oh, is this, is this too bold? And maybe for another producer, it would not have gone over the way that it went over with them. But it, I think it just showed the commitment and the spirit and the desire to want to be in the game. And, um, and I think that as we know, like we, <laughs> women and people of color have to do things better and harder than other, than some people who have things more handed to them. And I think that, you know, just being tenacious was really helpful in that, in that situation. And it was like a good lesson to try and remind myself to just continue to pursue things, even if it seems impossible. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to two, like being women, we're often told like, you know, be sweet, be good. And the fact that I think maybe a man would write that letter, no problem. They probably wouldn't have had to write that uh, letter, but I love that you did that because it's a, it's a good reminder. I mean, to me, and I think to the people listening that really you are your own advocate. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you really want something, it clearly there there's a line and you need to be appropriate, but you know, writing a letter like that and giving those examples are really great, powerful examples. And there's a definitely respectful way to stand up for yourself and show you, you want to be in the game. And, um, I think even clearly, even with moving up in production design, you, you're always fighting for, for the next job, right? It's not like anything's ever really just handed to you on a silver platter in this industry. So it's a, it's a good reminder to stay energized and, and not get defeated. Um, not hearing like, you know, you just don't have enough experience and going, Oh, I'm rolling your eyes, but saying, no, I do, I do have enough experience yeah. and, and I can do this. Yeah. I, I talked to a, um, a producer I worked with on, on a series East Los High, uh, recently, and he's a Brazil mm -hmm. Brazilian producer and like, um, and he said this line, which, which, which like really stuck with me. He said, our lawyer says this, that if you want to seat at the table, bring a folding chair and pull yourself up to the table. And I thought like, yeah, that is exactly what we have to do. I'm just going to drive around with a folding Absolutely. chair in the trunk of my car. <laughs>
<laughs> Do it. Do it. That's amazing. So how did you go about getting your first production design job? You know, for someone listening who wants to get into production design, what's like the, what's the path in that? Is it really starting with, you know, independent films and how do you do that? Are you assisting? I, I just literally don't know anything about the the world. So I'm, I'm curious. So I, I mean, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this set design thing and I, you know, I had poured over books of designers that I love, like Dante Ferretti was a big inspiration for me as a young designer. He's the designer who's done, did most of Scorsese's movies. Um, Mm. uh, And, um, you know, filmmakers who are super visual, like Terry Gilliam or Wes Anderson. Um, But so I had, I had sort of like a Rolodex of designers that I was interested in. And I knew that Yale had a really top notch program for theater design. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I want to go to the best program I can. And I had worked on the movie Tim Burton's Corpse Bride in London. I had, wow. by some chance, my dad had sat next to the producer while he was on the plane, flipping through resumes, looking for an assistant. And my dad said, oh, my daughter's in film. And they hit it off or something. And so I found myself in this guy's office interviewing to be a produ- producing assistant. And I was like, I don't want to be a, pro- I don't want to do, right. do production. I want to do design. And and so that connection got me in the door to be a PA basically on the, on Corpse Bride, which was an amazing, wow. amazing learning experience. I have a British passport because my dad is English. And so, and so they were like, well, kid, if you can get yourself to London, <laughs> like you can work on the movie. And so I got hired and I got hired when I, when it was just starting, it was just like the producers in the office, the art director hadn't even arrived yet. The movie had been designed by Alec McDowell, Alex McDowell and, um, and, uh, the, so he, they had done all this prep in Los Angeles. And so I was there from them, like setting up the stages in London when there was four people in the office and like Tim Burton would come in for these early meetings. And then I got to see the art department get built out. And, um, and that was amazing. And I was just like really eager and hungry and like wanted to do everything. But the problem is when you're a young person and you want to do everything that, like you don't necessarily have the skills yet. And I had a lot of energy and not so many skills. And so I worked on the movie and I didn't end up staying the whole movie. I think the art director and I were probably not a, a fit because I got assigned to him. And now subsequently, as, I, as I've been a, um, a department manager of like many people you see, you know, sometimes I see these like super eager young people who like don't quite know where they fit. And, mm. and, and you're just like, oh, kid, I want to pull you aside and like tell you. But you also just see that you're like, well, this person is a leader and they're going to figure it out. And so and that, that was what happened with me. I left and then I went home and went to Oregon and worked on my portfolio and I got into Yale, which was great because it gave me some more time to work on my skills and um, was super humbling because you realize all the things you don't know, which is a lot because, I mean, I remember in undergrad, I had gone into the theater management the theater like production director's office. And I was like, I want to go get a job where I like work in a shop in LA one day a week or something. And she was like, kid, <laughs> like those are professional craftspeople who spend years. Like you don't just drop in as right. a college student one day a week. And, and I think that, um, you know, all of those experiences and then finally like landing at Yale with, with this amazing, my, you know, my cl- castmate, my castmates, my classmates were, 
we're such unbelievably talented people. And so you're sort of like swimming with the sharks and everybody's trying to outdo each other and you're really good friends, but there's also this hot like pressure cooker of competition and intensity. And so, you know, I, I've never worked harder, but it was the best thing I ever did. And, and then I got to LA and I, nobody cared about Yale cause it's film. Like, the, right. you know, it's the film industry in LA is very, you know, like put in your time and climb the ladder and, and so that was like a whole process of relearning. And it's only now being at this stage in my career where I feel like the connection from grad school has like come full circle because like classmates of mine are showrunners for big shows and they're running, you know, vice presidents of networks and they're winning Tonys and Oscars. And so that's that's the part of it that I just feel like super touched and excited and proud because all like, you know, somebody's like, somebody won a Tony or like there there's so-and-so like at the Oscars and I have like a picture of them in a bikini in my apartment at a costume party <laughs> from grad school and, right. and they're they're like amazingly talented people so I think that finding your people and putting in the work there's just a lot of there's a lot of work and a lot of great lessons but I think my 20s that was like it was all of those journeys of like leaving you know not deciding not to go after acting that I wanted to be behind the scenes Yale, like having that job at Corpse Bride not work out. I mean, someday at some point I'm going to bump into that art director who fired me like at, and, and I was like 22 years old or something. And I was like so devastating, but it was like Mm. the the best thing that ever happened. I mean, I remember hearing Martin Scorsese talk about getting fired and I was like, okay, it's a good sign. Yeah. Tenacious scrap of, of pursuing things and that like things don't work out when you're, and it's not the right fit and you're not ready. And so, yeah, and I ended up at Yale because of it. So there you wow. go. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Sometimes those rejections are just leading you in, in, in the right path. You know, sometimes we want something so bad and then all of a sudden we we are left to turn another way and that ends up being a blessing. Yeah. I try to take those kids like I was when I have them as PAs and like teach them. And I think the guy that I was working for didn't quite have that in his wheelhouse because I was very teachable, but it was you know, it takes work with young people who are eager and like uh, in your business and don't have very many skills. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, lesson learned. Um, well, let's, I want to talk a little bit too about your directing, um, and about your experience, uh, shadowing on station 19. Part of the women directing mentorship program is that our winner gets to, uh, shadow on a series of Shondalands. And so you had the opportunity to go shadow on station 19. So what did you learn? How was it? Tell me everything. It was great. I I director shadowed Tessa Blake, who's super awesome. Um, and is a woman director who's really organized and detail oriented and, um, super collaborative. And, and so it was, it was awesome watching her navigate the, the machine that is, those big television shows, because those shows are, I mean, I've worked on those shows and, you know, when you're spending $3 million an episode or more, it, it really is like a military operation in terms of how it is the division of labor, the personnel, the various departments. And, um, and so seeing that in action was, was the biggest learning lesson, which was great. I mean, the episode that we shot was mostly on stage, which was nice. Cause it was a little bit more contained. Um, mm. And, you know, on those kind of network shows, the actors know the characters. And so the episodic director is really in charge of, 
you know, the choreography of how the thing is going to move. Um, and so, yeah, it was a great experience with Tessa. It was really just about tone and, you know, the energy that you bring into your experience and the day and how that carries through the crew, which is a lesson that I had learned as a department head. I mean, on Disney, I had 80 people in, in our various wow. de- departments between construction set, set deck and all these things. And so you realize that, that, you know, you're checking in your smile, your recognition of people's work, your collaboration and engaging their ideas and giving people permission to develop and grow and, and like lean into what their talents are helps build a better team. So, so all of that was to say that it was a great experience. Um, and hopefully something will be coming down that line soon now that the, the world is moving again. Um, yeah. and they have all these Netflix shows, so it's really exciting. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing opportunity and I'm really grateful for, for series fest and for Shondaland, um, for believing in me and, you know, Shondaland for opening the door over there because the, the women who I've dealt with in the production department, there are phenomenal and they're so gracious about trying to help do the thing that these other women producers I talked about earlier have done, which is to say like, we need to move out of the way and make space to bring in different voices. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I agree, the women and everyone at Shondaland that we've worked with, they're all incredible. Um, I was really moved when I first sat down with Allison Akel. It was uh, Randy and I um, went to just have a meeting. Someone actually who was on a panel at Series Fest, I think it was season three. We had uh, a women in television panel. And um, one of the participants just reached out and said, I'd love to introduce you to Allison. Um, and I was like, great. So we went went in there and I was just so moved by the way they talked about how they work at Shondaland and how they really lift people up um, internally, how people who, you know, um, I think it was Shonda's like assistant now is running shows and has his own show and, you know, was put into the writer's room and they really um, support and, and develop talent. Um, and then it, it was in that room where I kind of pitched the idea. I was like, well, I've, would you ever be into some kind of, uh, you know, mentorship <laughs> program where we, we open submissions and we, and we bring you really talented people. Um, and they were like, yeah, and they've just been absolutely amazing. And, um, it's really nice to know and hear from you that there are other women out there doing the same thing and, and lifting other artists up. Cause we, we all need to do that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, Effie. Our, my first job that I worked with her, uh, Effie Brown, like, I don't know, six or seven, it was a long time ago. I don't know when it was, but she said, look, like, like hire women and people of color because if we, if mm-hmm. we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Yeah. And that completely changed the way that I built my departments and tried to mentor young people and, and interns to get people in the door who wouldn't otherwise be in the door. Um, because it's really hard, you know, and in some places it's mm. like, you you know, it's impossible because their pool of people who work in behind the scenes and the camera and grip and art departments tend to be mostly white men. And, and because of the directive as of a lot of production companies, that's slowly changing and they want to, production companies want to specifically be in places where they can pull from crew that looks like the spectrum of their show. So... Yeah, I mean, I was saying to you before we started this call, I, I had a really inspiring morning today because I'm, 
I'm directing these, this series of episodes, uh, and they're about diverse voices. And we're trying to have the crew be the spectrum of people that exist on screen as well as behind the screen. And it was just really inspiring, like talking to all these different people about their stories and where they came from and why they moved to LA to pursue film because of their desire for film. And like, and, and I feel like that, that goes back to the Greek theater. We want to be, we want to be with people telling stories. And it was just like, I getting on the phone with you, I just felt my spirits were very uplifted by talking to these, all these possible crew members. And it, and it's hard because you want to hire everybody, but you can't, Yeah, uh, because you know, I want to be around passionate people who want to make things and, totally. and, and, and who look like the actual world. But I feel like you create so much. Um, I know you're working on so much that, you know, there's always another opportunity to hire them again. I know just, I have people that I met with for when I directed my first short that I still think about. I'm like, I'm going to find something to work on with that person because I know that maybe this one wasn't right or I ended up going with someone for a different reason, but there are people I met along the way. Um, so that's great that you met so many wonderful people this morning that inspired you. I love hearing that. Yeah. It's just, it just, and, and I, you know, my, I've worked mostly in the union world, like for over 10 Mm -hmm. years. And so I don't have a lot of contacts of people who are doing the, the more non-union indie projects. And so I had the opportunity for this because we're, we're SAG, but we're not full union to hire, to hire all these people who have been working in film for 10 years, but have never made it into the union. Um, and that's awesome because they're experienced and they seem knowledgeable and passionate and, you know, and I would love to help get those people where they want to go. If there's any way that I can in the future. That's great. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next. Um, I'm a a fan of your work and just, you know, rewatched Wendy Shabbat last night. So it's like, I know I watched this when you applied for Shondaland. I was like, let me watch again. And I was sitting there laughing and I was like, oh, I love your grandmother so much. (laughs) Um, And I just, it's it's such a a great short with so much heart and so much um, uh, humor as well, which I really appreciated. Um, it was really wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, that's, I think that's where ideally in the best scenario, my, my work lives as like, as an artist, I love that harmony between, you know, the way that people live their lives that something tragic happens and then they're laughing and telling jokes and Mm. eating in hospitals and, you know, sweetness and humor comes out of despair and, and I don't know. I just, people are so fascinating that I, I, that was a great first film. It was funny because it was like a tiny little thing that I didn't think would go anywhere. I just made it and I thought it would be cute. And then all of a sudden the, the head of Tribeca shorts programming is calling me on the phone saying, can we premiere this at Tribeca out of 5,000 submissions? And I was, I was like, what is happening right now? But I mean, but to me, that was the thing that opened the door for me for directing. Cause I thought, oh, well, if Tribeca's giving me permission, then maybe I should do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Always, always going back to who's giving me permission. Um, yeah. you know, but it's hard too. you know, you want your work to be seen, but that validation from getting into a festival yeah. or having, you know, anyone, an agent, a manager, whatever it is, getting that validation. Um, we're all, we're all still human. Yeah, no, it's important. I mean, and it was, I mean, that movie was like, we were on the Today Show and in the New York Times and it was at 50 film festivals and 
was broadcast on PBS and qualified for Academy Awards. I mean, it was just nuts like that this little movie had such big life. And I think it's just a reminder of, you know, people want human connection. People love honest stories that they can relate to. And if you make something that you care about that's truthful, then it will resonate. But I think you just hit on it. It was something that you didn't go to make to get into a festival so you could go get the agent and then you could prove that you were a director. You did it because you were inspired and you were like, oh, this is just going to be something fun and, you know, something I want to go do. And you didn't have the expectation of it. Um, and that's probably why, not the only reason why, but one of the reasons why that, you know, it really rings so true to so many people. Um because it really just, you know, came from came from you. Oh, and thanks. as your grandmother was making her bed, I was sitting there thinking, she's right. I should make my bed every morning. And I do not. Oh. I, I am like so bad. I jump out of bed and I like forget. And I'm like, but what's funny is I have to get into a made bed. So before I get back into bed, before I brush my teeth at night, I actually pull up the covers and kind of make it, <laughs> which is just really sad oh. and embarrassing to admit that my bed is messy all day. And I really oh, should actually really make my bed. But I was like, that's, she's right. Like I should, I should get up and I should, I should make my bed. I make my bed every day. Really? Yeah. Every day. Wow. No matter, okay, I should no do matter that. where I am. I mean, I'll be like at a location staying in a hotel somewhere and I'll still like by, by habit, I'll just like pull the covers up. Do you do it right when you get out of bed? Do I need to do it right when I get out of yeah, bed to make right, it a habit? Right when out of bed, you get, get out of bed. Like, I open think the my door dog, to the dog Hugo, out. is going to like look at me like, what are you doing? Because he stays in bed while I, you know, brush my teeth oh, and wash my face and meditate. Well, tell, the whole thing. tell, tell the dog that it's time for him to get up. <laughs> I know. I, that's actually not true. He does get out of bed and he comes and sits by my feet and he meditates with me. It's, it's very cute. Um, well, that's cute. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He, I he mean, likes sometimes him. I'll meditate. I don't do that every day, but if I, like I did this morning, I just like sat up in bed. Yeah. Meditated. And then got out, and the first thing I do is pull the covers up. Yeah. I know I should probably start doing that too. I, I do like a little bit of a routine on meditate, but I think they do say it's best to do it like right away. Oh, yeah. It's like exercise. Like if I didn't put gym clothes on in the morning, then, then it would it's never, never going to happen. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um, well, before we go, I have one last question for you, which is if you could have worked on any television show in history, what would it have been? And what would you have done on it? And it can be a show that's on today. It doesn't have to be. Oh, my God. That's so hard. Um, oh, my goodness. I don't know. I mean, Game of Thrones. I loved Game of Thrones. Mm. And, and like, the scale of what they did. I remember I heard their production designer for that show talk about they had, you know, four teams going on four continents at the same time, like, with all these different film crews and directing an episode of game of Thrones. I remember, I don't know who I heard talk about that an episode that was all night. It was like a night battle and they, they shot two months of straight nights. Wow. And, and everybody were basically, they were basically like the whole crew turned into ghosts walking around delusional because they'd been on this weird schedule for so long. But I think, I just think the scale of, of a, a show like that. I mean, I had the, I directed some episode for Disney channel and, you know, I had action and stunts and visual effects and in, in my episode, which was super fun. And it was just a kid's episode, but I think doing that for a big show, I love all the stunts and, and effects. And I feel like we need more women directors. Cause I feel like often women directors get assigned to the emotional stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need more women directors 
directing the the fun physical you know war scenes and so right. i think it would be really great great to do something that i don't know i don't know some some version between car chases explosions and a giant battle scene with some like with some can can dancers like whatever that show is i'd like to do that <laughs> um with the ending with a giant musical number <laughs> i love it that sounds amazing let me know when that show is on the air and i will watch <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was so great catching up with you and, and chatting and I would just really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It's so fun. And I, I am so glad that we've gotten to stay in touch and be friends and, and series fest was what did that. And it was just like every little step makes a big impact in the the mentorship with you guys uh, and the relationships mean so much. And I'm really, really grateful. Thank you for tuning in for today's episode. SeriesFest is a nonprofit organization, and our work would not be possible without our incredible board of directors, staff, and partners who make programs like this podcast possible. We have ongoing competitions, initiatives, and mentorship programs year-round, so please check us out at SeriesFest.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay up-to-date on announcements. This episode was edited by Neil Trulio with original music by Adam Westbrook.